if people trust me, they ask me this next question, which is, what did you think of us when you first started coming? Like people are obsessed with that question. They want to know how did how did how did the Latter-day Saint Church appear to me an outsider? Like I feel like if I ever wanted to write a book, I could write 900 pages on that and people would read it because they they just like there's no end to them wanting to know how they appear to outsiders. It's kind of fun. Just a couple of things as we start into this episode. I want to say, first of all, and you hear us say throughout the episode, a huge thanks to uh, Nick Gaietti, who helped uh, line up me and uh, Jennifer Roach, uh, that we're able to have this interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. I hope that uh, you take our invitation within it, that if there's things you'd like to see further discussed, that you remember you have the email address, contact at theculturalhall.com. Shout out to at Utah Taste Off on Instagram for sponsoring it, uh, that you can always reach out to us and say, hey, I don't know that I agreed with this, or you know what, I really appreciated the way that she said this, or whatever sort of comments that you have uh, seeking to make this a place inclusive for everyone, all types of people, uh, all different uh, you know ways at coming at the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, however, wherever, whatever you may, uh, hoping to make this a safe place for everyone, and would love to get your feedback. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. It seems like I've set this episode up like it's going to be highly controversial. I find it highly enjoyable. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Joined this session, uh, and I call it a session, and you'll find out why in just a moment, uh, with Jennifer Roach. Now, if you are like me, maybe when you hear the name Jennifer Roach, you go, your, your, uh, your, your pointer finger kind of goes to your chin or right underneath your nose, and you go, you know, I know that name. Where do I know that name from? And, and, and I figured it out actually before I Googled it. Uh, you were in the news probably, this is six months ago where this sort of hit, and by the news I mean sort of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints news, where you were part of a conference or you spoke somewhere, and you said, hey, you know, when, uh, when, uh, when bishops talk to their teenage kids about sex, that's fine, that's all right, I'm, 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 you know, maybe, maybe we'd be careful, but I'm cool with it. I, I did say that, yes. Yeah, yeah. I want to unpack some of that because immediately some people yeah. will go, oh, Jennifer, hang on, pal. Uh, but before we get to all that, that quintessential question that everyone loves to ask, who is Jennifer Roach? Give me an idea of where you're from, where you were raised. I was raised in California, Modesto, California. Um, I live in Seattle, Washington now with my husband. We have a grown son. He's down in Provo. Going to the BYU? He's going to the UBU. Uh, there's jokes that I like to make here. I uh, couldn't quite get into BYU, and that's fine. Maybe he'll transfer later. Uh, UVU has an aviation program. They got planes to fly, and oh. BYU does not. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So. Uh, and no medical uh, you know, field uh, things at BYU either. No doctor's yeah. programs. It's true. I'm telling you, one of these days we're going to get planes and doctors. In fact, think Together. about this. Flying doctors. We're going to change right. the world. Uh, it's coming. Now, if I remember correctly in your story, too, and I would much prefer it that you tell it, you are a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Let's talk about when you maybe first heard about the church and then how that conversion process happened. Yeah, well, I at the very first time I heard about the church, I grew up with a best friend whose family was members of the church, and I lived at their house half the time. My parents warned me strictly 
very strictly, you are not allowed to pray with them. You're not allowed to listen to Bible stories from them. You, like you can't do any religious stuff when you're over there, though they're crazy. And I sort of didn't listen. Like I remember playing on the swing set with my friend and she's telling me stories from the Book of Mormon. Like I was eight years old yeah. and that was my first introduction. And then 40 years goes by. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have said more than 22. I just want you to know 20, that. 22 years goes by. Perfect. And um, I actually ended up um, in a lawsuit in California. And it got written about in the papers a bunch. One of the reporters who was writing about me um, is a member of the church. And he I was cooperating with him. So we were talking all the time about, about this story. And without going into too much detail, there was there's a church, a Baptist church involved in Modesto and I needed to listen and this reporter needed to listen to a sermon where this pastor was going to respond to our lawsuit and he chose to speak on Moses and I remember I was talking to my reporter friend like that's the worst sermon ever and he's such a jerk and you're carrying on and my friend the reporter says well I thought it was awful too but for different reasons really tell me mm-hmm. he says well I, I, have, I have other scriptures that you don't have yeah neener and neener I, neener <laughs> I got mad. I was like, no, you don't. What are you talking about? And he took that moment to kind of become shy and said, I, I, he's a newspaper reporter. He's like, I'm in the middle of the newsroom. I can't talk to you about scripture right now. So I was like, okay. So we hung up the phone and I think I probably texted him within five minutes and said, like, could you please just tell me what you're talking about? <laughs> so he sent me a link to the church website, to the book of Moses. And I started reading. I read all of Pearl of Great Price. I was halfway through the Book of Mormon before I ever met the missionaries. Um, joined the church nine months later. In in my mind's eye, though, where he was a journalist for a newspaper and he he wanted to talk to you about things that he wasn't, you know, probably supposed to well on the job. I really would have loved if he would have called you from a payphone with like <laughs> with like a handkerchief over the phone and been yes. like Jennifer. Yes. In the park, and I'll tell you about the scriptures that you don't know. That about. sounds super creepy. I would not have shown up. <laughs> uh, it, it is worth noting that um, that at least a portion of that story, why you were being interviewed, is also sort of the yeah. the base point for why you feel the way you do about uh, bishops being able to uh, visit with youth about. You know, all, all things, yeah. certainly. I don't want to make it just a, a sexual thing. I think that you're a proponent of, like, we should have people that aren't our parents to be able to visit with them. Yeah. But but the hot button in that issue becomes, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking to kids about sex. Yeah. So like my experience in the church I grew up in, it was a regular, like, mainstream Christian church, not a Latter-day Saint church. Um, I was one of about a dozen teenagers who were sexually abused in that church. Mm. I remember when I, probably before I even got baptized and someone told me what a bishop's interview is, my very first thought was, as a 16-year-old, are you kidding? I would have given my right arm to have an adult sit down with me and ask me anything that approached talking about sexuality. And I would have spilled it all. I would have told everything, but no one was asking. And they certainly weren't asking on a regularly scheduled basis. Um, so like my first reaction to hearing about it was I felt kind of jealous. Hmm. Hmm. But, but I mean, 
given the experience that you had where, you know, you're one of a dozen, which I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I know that that yeah. affects life, you know, no matter what. I'm healing through it, and I'm sure being a therapist, yeah, which you are, you've made your yeah. way through it, but it still has an impact uh, on your life. You know, being able to have that outlet. So many people, though, I think hear that, you know, this person who isn't a trained therapist, who is a bishop, maybe he's a, he's a brick mason during the day or whatever sure. the thing is. Like they, they just they feel because of stories like yours and stories with ours within the walls of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We just go, do we do we really need to even tempt those people to have those situations occur? Yeah. And I, I say yes, and I have several reasons for why I say that. Number one, you have to understand how teenagers disclose abuse. It's extraordinarily rare that a teenager is going to set up an appointment with a therapist, or even if they have a therapist, so they're just going to plop down and say, hey, I need to tell you someone's sexually abusing me. That's not what teenagers do. Um, most of the time, they actually don't tell at all. Mm -hmm. The average age of disclosure is 51. Hmm. Like hmm. most teenagers are not talking about this. Some of the reason why that's true is adults don't know how to recognize when they are. So, here, so here's how a teenager does it. They pick someone who's a regular person in their life and they start to give a little tiny, tiniest little piece of information, a little breadcrumb. And they watch and see what, what is that person gonna do with it? Am I gonna get in trouble? Um, are they gonna call 911 right away and like, threaten that CBS is going to come yank me out of my house. Like, like what's going to happen? So, so teenagers will give you a tiny piece of information that they can easily take back if they need to. Mm -hmm. And so this is where you see a lot of times teenagers will give a story and retract it, give a story and retract it. And that, that's, just, that's just what comes with how teenagers disclose. So a bishop's special role is because these meetings are regularly scheduled, they're happening throughout this kid's adolescence, they can, not that they always know how, but they do have the opportunity to listen for the breadcrumbs, to listen to where things don't quite make sense. Because what a kid will do is say something that just seems really off, really out of context. Like, that's weird. How would your uncle know that about you? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And if the kid feels safe, they're going to say more. Um, because a bishop's interview is like just a private, regularly scheduled event in their lives. I think it's a fantastic place where that can happen. I think that, so there, there is, this already gets complicated, right? Because you could have a rogue bishop who decides like he, like, he likes teenage kids in his ward or whatever, and, and right. he wants to act inappropriately with them. Most of the time, it, not just in our church, but in any church, abuse doesn't happen like that. It happens through a grooming process, right? Where a kid forms in a relationship with adults in the church and they seem safe. And then that carries on for an amount of time until the parents sort of allow this adult in the church free access to their kid. Um, the, the worry that something is going on behind closed doors during a bishop interview, it's just, it's just that's just not how abuse happens. It happens most of the time, the grooming happens at church. The abuse, at least in the beginning, happens outside of the, the church. Not that it can't happen with our bishops. Obviously, it doesn't have. I think it outweighs, the, the potential good outweighs the risks. And people get upset when I say that, sure. and I get it. it. 
I come from a very specific point of view on this because we've got a little 14 year old girl and she can barely say the word sex without you know, blushing a million times and certainly talking to a grown man who's one of her dad's friends. Like, absolutely, she's not going to be comfortable in that situation. Mm-hmm. Parentheses, the church has made lots of ways in which she can have somebody else there with her where she can be comfortable. Sure. I, I feel sad like that she has to go through that uncomfortable situation, but not sad enough that I would want them to stop because there's very, very little harm being done to her right? She, she's okay. And the church has made provisions where she can make sure she's okay. Abuse victims have almost no one to disclose to, right? Getting, getting an abuse victim alone is incredibly rare. Their abusers make it so that that can't happen, right? They, they engineer this kid's life so that they never have an opportunity to tell anyone that's what happened to me. I never told anyone because I never had an opportunity to. And the potential good that you can do in an incredibly vulnerable kid's life, I think it's worth it for the very, very naive 14-year-old girl to be uncomfortable for the five-minute conversation. I, I uh, by no means want to paint you into the you're the person that thinks that Bishop interviews are okay box or corner. You know what I'm saying? But I do appreciate hearing that perspective because it's one that we don't hear as much. And the cultural hall is a place like, you know, the literal cultural hall within our church is where we, we talk about everything. Uh, I would ask one more question around it. You talked about sort of the uh, the like breadcrumbs that teenagers would mm-hmm. do. Do you recollect sort of doing that with the people that that you knew after those times and, and were I, like, ah, I, is this safe? Uh, nope. Yep. I, I did do that. I remember um, one adult woman in particular that I did that with and um, she didn't pick up on them. Mm-hmm. And, and that feels sad. And that also feels incredibly normal. Most adults don't pick up on them. So, right. They're just like, Oh, that was weird. And they let it pass. They don't understand that kids, teenagers don't disclose how adults disclose. So, so often I think with dealing with teenagers, so much of it is like it's a crapshoot for parents because we just have no idea anyway, right? They're like, I'm sad. And we're like, like depressed, suicidal, sad. Do we need to go see a therapist? And they're like, no, I'm, I'm just sort of sad. And so the parent in me hears this and is like, okay, so like, is it breadcrumb like wonder white bread or is yeah. am I looking for like a wheat bread thing that's a big hunk of bread that I would dip in a bread of soup and you know how do I know what this is and how do I not know what this is I want to be there but I don't want to overwhelm or underwhelm or whatever yeah, yeah it's an incredibly complicated dance ask the follow-up question is all you can do and you're gonna risk you're gonna risk a lot of things one that kid might get annoyed at you mm-hmm. right stop it dad in the bishop context it's definitely risky right because if kid says something and Bishop asks, that's weird. How does your uncle know that about you? Um, the kid can be like, oh, what are you like? Are you a creeper? Are you like, why are you insinuating that? And then the Bishop feels like, oh my gosh, I did something wrong. And I don't know. It's sort of one of the risks that goes along with leadership is you're going to like overshoot the question sometimes. And that is how it is. Because the positive side of that is, is if you're able to help discover that abuse is going on and provide mm-hmm. resources, that certainly is why it would be valuable to do that. The, the negative side would obviously be, you know, some sort of backlash from parents. I can't believe that you would ask this question. Yeah. People may find yeah. themselves n- no longer come to church or who knows the ramifications yeah. on the other side. I, I, when I was putting this together, I looked at a thousand survey responses and of the people who said, yes, my bishop asked me something inappropriate, 
is really hard to tell. Was this bishop being inappropriate? Was this bishop asking questions that in the context made sense? And as a, a 14, 15, 16 year old, the kid didn't understand how the question made sense, but they've carried this around. My bishop asked me this super offensive thing when I was 14. So that's really hard. So when you say when you were putting this together, what is this that you were putting oh, I'm together? Sorry. The, the, the talk that I did um, at the Fair Mormon conference on this subject. And people will be able to find a link to that in uh, the show notes for this episode. I just want to make sure when people are like, what's this? Is this, is this a book? Is this a podcast she does? What is this This that she speaks of? You took, nine, you took, you took nine months to convert. What was that about? So I was, <laughs> I was working at another church. I was clergy at another church. I was ordained. I was preaching on Sundays. I was baptizing people and marrying people and doing all the things that pastors do. Um, it's bad for business then. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> you know, um, it was a little awkward because, so I started reading the Book of Mormon when my reporter friend and I have this conversation and he told me multiple times, he's like, there are people, Jennifer, whose full-time job it is to answer questions about the Book of Mormon. You can talk with them. And I would say, nope, absolutely not. Are you kidding? I cannot do that. Um, and he would, he would say, oh, okay. And then he'd bring it up again. Like, nope, not doing that. And then one day I'm driving down the road and I saw two sister missionaries and they were just walking. And I was like, doggone it. <laughs> and turned my car around and went and talked to the girls and started meeting with them. And so I was doing, I did lessons every single week for nine months. We did the basic lessons about... 27 times. Um, I have them memorized. Um, I think I went through like 17 missionaries Wow. Um, over the course of, of that amount of time. Um, I had to, I had to come, number one, I had to come to terms with some things. There are, there's so many similarities in Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with other Christian churches. And there are a few differences that are really big that I needed to wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. Two, I had to figure out how I was going to um, extricate myself from the current job that I had, how I was going to become unordained. That's a process that's called being defrocked, um, and sometimes it's contentious. Hmm. My situation, it was not contentious at all. It was, um, my leaders were very, very kind. Um, they thought I was crazy and making a mistake, but they didn't, they didn't make it hard on me. My... I, I'm married to a man who did not join the church. And I certainly don't want to talk about that very much, but that I had to make sure I was doing that piece carefully. So it took yep. nine months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would be curious, is the process of defrocking sort of like um, the Latter-day Saint equivalent of excommunication in that you meet with a, gr a group of people and you sort of say, these are my reasons and this is the thing, and then, okay, you are dismissed? In theory, yes. In my situation, um, I don't think we ever all actually met in one place. Like we did it over the phone and over email. And I, by the time I talked to them, I was very certain of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have an agenda to try and convince me I was a heretic. They can call me a heretic, sure. but they did, they weren't trying to change my mind necessarily. They asked me to take some time and to, to consider some things, which I did. And then when that time period was up, I got back with them and said, yeah, this is still what I want to do. And so it's different if you are a person who is 
trying to stay ordained. You're trying to stay in your church and you've done something wrong. Mm -hmm. Like you have to please your case about why you should stay. But I was going to leave whether they were okay with it or not. So it was different. Was there a part uh, in the whole process where, like because of what you had been learning with the sister missionaries, where even though you were still called to like baptize or marry people in the particular tradition that you were Mm -hmm. ministering in, that you went, I... This I don't know that I should be doing this anymore before you'd left. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That so I five of those nine months were really spent with me trying to answer some questions. Once I had those questions answered, that that's when those feelings set in for me because I knew what I was gonna do. I I had set a baptism date, even though it was many months away. Um, much to the chagrin of the missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, at that point, I, that's when I actually let my leaders in the Anglican church know, like, you guys need to know what's going on with me. Um, and that wasn't fun because there are people who have known me a long time and cared for me really well. And I know that that was disappointing to them, but I still had to do what I had to do. I, I would imagine it feels in some way like, um, when you have that person who lives in your neighborhood or who is a part of your your ward and they decide you know that they're not going to come anymore that they're they're going to go a different journey and you sort of mourn that loss and you still love that individual but you're you know you get sort of caught up and twisted up and and torn yeah. because you want to help them but also you still want to love them and nurture that relationship it's a fa- that's a fascinating part of this journey, a journey we're not all the way through yet. I want to take a quick break, and when we come back in the second block, I want to pick it back right up where we left off. Uh, we'll do that coming right back. A busy, full summer from Best DJ in Utah. Go to bestdjinutah.com. Why, that is me, Richie T., and I would love to be able to play music at your upcoming wedding or maybe you're having a company party, or maybe you're thinking already for the holiday party, whatever it is that's on your schedule, you should get the number one highest rated DJ for the state of Utah. Now, I know you're thinking, I don't even live in Utah, Richie. Would you ever do an event in Washington State? Oh, I've already done that before. Would you ever do an event in California? Been there too. How about Louisiana? Uh Uh-huh. Texas? Yes. Point is, uh, you know, you, you throw shekels my way, I'll come to wherever you're at. We could even combine it and make it an episode of the Cultural Hall. Mind blown. If you are in need of a DJ at all or someone in your family is getting married, would like to be able to talk to me, I would love to be able to talk to them. It's bestdjinutah.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, uh, I want to give a special shout out to the folks over at Leading Saints. You can find them at LeadingSaints.org. Jennifer Roach is one of many, yay verily many, uh, who are going to be part of the Mentally Healthy Saints 
summit that Leading Saints is putting together. You can go to leadingsaints.org forward slash mental health and find out more about that summit. Uh, Just one of those presentations, interviews, uh, things to think about and consider is uh, Kurt, our buddy Kurt and Jennifer Roach. So I encourage you to check that out. You can go to leadingsaints.org forward slash mental health, or I'm betting if you just go to leadingsaints.org, you'll be able to find your way to this thing, the Mentally Healthy Saints Summit. Jennifer, I also would be curious, so coming from a place where you were, um, you uh, ministering is not the word that you used, where you were not proselyting, what was the word that you used? You were, you were preaching, you were... Um. I, I was working as ordained clergy. Yeah, you were clergy was the word I think that I was trying to to get to and couldn't. And then, clergyizing. Yeah, clergyizingness. And you come to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where we certainly have those opportunities to do some of that uh, within the Relief Society, the primary, the young women's, etc. But it's very different than the Anglican Church and the and the positions which you served in. How has that transition been? You know, uh, this is the this is the question people ask me all the time, and I feel like people want to hear. They expect that I'm going to have so much angst over this, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what it's like to be a woman who's in a leadership position in the church, and I know what it's not like, like or what it's like to not do that. Um, the experience of it is nearly the same, right? So, like right now, my calling is first counselor in Relief Society. Before that, I was Relief Society instructor, right? So like, is that like a a huge responsibility and you're carrying all these stuff? No, but you can make it what you, you make it what you want it to be, right? You Mm -hmm. can, you can do as much as you need to do. Um, In my, it's been almost two and a half years now in the church. I've never once felt like I lacked for places where I could lead or places where my voice was welcome. I am not an advocate of like, oh, we need to like ordain 12 year old girls, just like we need 12 year old boys from my, it just, it doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would be curious then on the other side of that, what do you feel like you learned as uh, Anglican church, uh, clergy that you have brought into the, the callings that mm. maybe those that have been brought up in the church haven't had the opportunity to experience what the uniqueness of it? Well, I, th- I think probably the thing I bring with me the most is in the non-Latter-day Saint world, they only have the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Mm-hmm. In our church, we've got twice the amount of scriptures, plus conference talks and like so much else. And so I know the Bible extremely well. The first time I gave a Relief Society lesson, and I can't even remember what lesson I was teaching it off of, but they were quoting Isaiah. And I was like, I love Isaiah. And we're going to dig into this Isaiah chapter. And all the women are just looking at me like, what, what, what is she talking about? Why are we talking about Isaiah? Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and so there was a little bit of a, a, a learning curve of like, I definitely know the Old Testament and the New Testament. Like, I went to divinity school. Like I've worked in churches most of my life. Like I, I really bring that with me. I, I, I love the Book of Mormon. I love Pearl of Great Price. I love having those. I just can't know them as well as I know the Old and New Testament. I've been working with those those texts for three years now, and that's it. I would imagine that people that visit with you, they ask those questions around um, your Anglican experience because we, we sort of— I mean, maybe some people are looking for that gotcha soundbite where it's like, Jennifer says she wishes that the women in the LDS Church would get ordained. <laughs> 
But but it also just I I think that as you know mainstream members of the church, those who have either been members their whole life or have a long standing tradition of it, we we just sort of become fascinated of that which we don't know. How many times do we see the the books at Deseret Book that like he was raised Jewish and then he converted yeah. this. This Baptist minister read this passage, and now he's the greatest podcaster of the, you know, of the right. LDS Church. This thing, and and I think that we just like when we talk about and and you said this when we talk about how so many things within Christianity are very similar. We I think are really drawn to hey, that's also Christ, but it's not the same ten parables that I've been taught or the yeah. same tone or temperament in which you're teaching it. I love it. Tell me more. Yeah, I get that a lot. I also, there's a tiny subset of that question that I feel like if people trust me, they ask me this next question, which is, what did you think of us when you first started coming? Like people are obsessed with that question. They want to know how did, how did, how did the Latter-day Saint church appear to me an outsider? Like, I feel like if I ever wanted to write a book, I could write 900 pages on that and people would read it because they, they just like, there's no end to them wanting to know how they appear to outsiders. It's kind of fun. So, Jennifer, my next question is, is how did the members of the church appear to outsiders of the... <laughs> I'm just <kidding. laughs> I, I would be curious, I guess, since we've queued it up. How did, like, were, yeah. we, were we a bunch of jello-making weirdos? Well, the first time that I went to a ward, um, so I'm still working in my Anglican church, but I had a Sunday off. There's a ward that is not that far from my house. Turns out it's not even in the same stake that I actually live in. But I thought, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna sneak in the back. I'm gonna wear something so I'll fit in. So I'm gonna put on these jeans and this t-shirt and just fit right in and just sne- sneak in the back and and no one's gonna notice me. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think they announced over the intercom, visitor in the back. <laughs> and so, you know, the entire church wanted to come and talk to me. Um, which actually was, was extremely lovely. Yeah. Um, Not everybody does that great. I mean, mm. wards wards in the Intermountain West, we are terrible at that. Everywhere else, they're like, new face that we don't know. Please stay. We need someone yeah. desperately. And here we're like, nah, I don't know. It's probably someone's brother. Yeah. This sweetest lady came back and talked to me. Her name was Rhonda. And by this point, like I'm catching on that, everyone in the building is better dressed than I am, even the babies. <laughs> and so a lady walks past with her little boy, like, and he's in like a little baby tie. And I, and I made a joke, like, gosh, even that six month old knew how to dress. And I did not. And she, she grabbed my bulletin and she wrote her phone number down and she pressed it into my hand. She says, you text me next time you come and I will wear jeans with you. Oh, and wow. Just the sweetest thing. Yeah. Wow. That's a, yeah, so that's, it was super cool. Yeah. Once I figured out where my actual word was, the first time I went was on a um, fast and testimony meeting Sunday. Uh-huh. <laughs> or as we lovingly, and we're not the only ones that coined this phrase, but, you know, it's open mic night at the, uh, at the ward house. It was open mic night. And the very first man who got up, who's actually become a really dear friend of mine, he's this elderly man. And he got up and he and he bears this testimony about how his great grandparents were polygamists and he still believes it's coming back in his lifetime. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I've, I've made a couple of friends in the ward by then and I'm sitting there and I can feel every single eye in the building 
they're all doing this where they're trying to look at me without yeah. looking at me <laughs> to see if I'm like gathering my things to, to run out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my favorite early memories. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So we, so, so, I mean, we got you, if you can make it through, you know, those couple of experiences, of course, right? Right. We, we like to do the baptism by fire, just in attendance. And then yeah. from there yep. on out, it, it's easy sailing. So now, you know, Hearing that this is as recent as two and a half, three years ago, at, at, you know, having the opportunity to serve in callings and, and where you're at today, you are a licensed family uh, therapist? Mental health, mental health therapist. So mostly I see individuals. Occasionally I work with couples, mostly focused on individuals, teenagers and adults. Okay. And focusing on any sort of particular or just teenagers and adults? So... Probably half of my clients are trauma victims of some kind, some kind of abuse. And I have a kind of a number of different therapies that I can use with them, all empirically validated. Like you do the treatment, they get better. So it's super satisfying. The other half are kind of, it could be anything, depression, anxiety, work issues, trying to decide on a career. Um, I do a little bit of like premarital work with couples who are trying to discern like should we really be joining our families together into a new family? Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the other half of it kind of just keeps my brain interested instead of it being all trauma all the time. Now, I asked this next question only because in proximity to when this occurred, um, mm-hmm. but you are the first therapist who I've been able to speak to since the excommunication of Natasha mm-hmm. Helfer and, you know, a, mm-hmm. a lot of what uh, what the church or rather... In, in the excommunication letter essentially uh, asserts is that some of the things that she said um, are sort of counter to the church. And her retort is, hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a therapist. And to be able to say some of the things that the church says, first of all, I can't do because it's like a code of ethics within being a therapist. I don't want to take too much time, but I would be curious as to your thoughts on all that. You're just trying to get everyone to hate me. We already talked about the bishop thing. I'm going to get hate mail about that one. <laughs> Contact at theculturalhall.com. <laughs> you do not forward those emails to no. me. You hate, no, oh, you're I, those. Listen, you can I, read them. I'll keep them. Natasha did not, this is my opinion. And I don't know, at Richie, don't at me. Yeah. Um, she did not get excommunicated because she was practicing her profession. She got excommunicated because of her behavior and the things that she said about the church leadership, refusing to, change from that. Um, I'm not even going to say what she said. You can't say that about the leaders in our church repeatedly yeah. and and still say that you want to be part of the church. This is not because she was practicing her profession. This is be- about her behavior. Yeah. To some, I think they leave it at, you know, taking her at her word for whatever reason. Oh, this is, this is why it is. Oh, okay. Well, what about all mental therapists, uh, you know, mental health therapists in the church? Or is there going to be a mass exodus? And, and the media would have me to believe some of that. I appreciate you going out on that. And again, people can send an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. I will not forward them to Jennifer. I will keep them to myself. I, I, I would also then be curious as uh, you know, we talk about you know the going after the one, and and there's the 99 that sort of stay in in the huddled mass. Mental yeah. health therapy seems like constantly going after the one. Have do you equate that? I mean, not to give you some sort of savior complex. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm I'm telling you. But like, is there that sort of value in the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The the kind of people who come to me, they've tried all the things that they can try on their own and it's not working. Um, Like especially my clients who are Latter-day Saints, 
they have talked to their bishop, they read the scriptures, they listen to conference talks, they're, they're, they're doing all the things, and I, and I can't figure out why I'm still so sad or why I'm still so anxious. And so I get to use like the specialties of my profession. Let's move some of those things out of the way for you so that you can feel the spirit better. So that you know, listening to a conference talk actually is like uplifting for you and you're able to be happier. Most people don't need the tools that a therapist has, but if you do, like I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. Like just the kind of the one by one. Uh, sometimes people get mad at, at conference talks. Oh, they should have said this about mental health, or they should have said it. Like they're not therapists. People get mad at their bishops. Oh, I'm gonna get more emails when I say this. People get mad at their bishops and say, "Oh, um, he's not a trained therapist." No, he's a tax attorney. Mm-hmm. You, <laughs> you, you, you can't expect him to be a therapist. Yeah. Let your let your bishop do what bishops do. Because your therapist can't do what a bishop does. I don't. Ha- I don't have those keys. Right. I can't. I cannot do what a bishop does. My Latter Day Saint clients need both me as their therapist and their bishop. I think that's really valuable information. I. I think too often um, we go, oh, the bishop. He's our counselor, right? He's. Mm-hmm. We're going to go counsel with the bishop, and yeah, if if he's trained, and and it's and this is not to discredit any bishops hear me like you are working for free actually no take that back you're paying paying 10 percent to do this job that you're doing and time away from your family and all those things i think you know for those who really believe that you know the counseling that you would need to make your way through uh relationship trauma or infidelity or any of those things i think a great first step especially if you're going to get if you're in a position where maybe you need some some financial help from the bishop to be able to pay for that counseling like a great first step is to be able to go to the bishop but then also to be able to be like hi we're going to go to a relationship therapist yeah. because that person has the skills and I'll be back to you bish when I need my taxes done so plan on me yes. around march Let's, you know, let's set up that time. And if you want to ask the temple recommend questions, we can double pack it and save you some time. But really to give respect to the people and what they are trained to do and not because I think so often we go, well, you know, they they have discernment or they have gifts from God. And I don't want to downplay that either. But I think there are gifts from God. And then there is years and years of training in therapies that will help a person overcome a particular situation. and like as much like I, I've been in a lot of therapy in my own life, right? Like I love therapy and I can't do what your bishop can do. Yeah. If yeah. you need help repenting from something, I don't have empirically based evidence that says this is the treatment that we give you to help you repent. Yeah. We can talk about it, uh, but I can't do what your bishop can do. They're, they're, either the keys are real or they're not. Yeah. Right. Either he holds those keys or he doesn't. And if you don't believe he does, then, and you go to him, like then you're just going to like a, cut rate free therapist who isn't going to do you any good. Right. But if you can let your bishop do what bishops do, let a therapist do what therapists do and, and separate out those roles a little bit. I, I have heard so many people mostly online, but a little bit in real life say, Oh, I was depressed and I went to my bishop and he gave me terrible advice. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Like, did you find a therapist after that? Well, no, I just stayed mad at my bishop. <laughs> So pressing pause on that and going then to the other side of that, if, if someone who is a bishop or in a 
a position of authority within the ward. Maybe they're a young man or a young women's or whatever. And someone sort of confides in them and they're out of their element. Like I'm a taxidermist, right? Like I, I stuff, you know, dead things and put them on walls. Like what should, what, what can be a nurturing, open, helpful response that someone can give if they just don't know what to say or do? I, I actually don't have a problem with those kinds of people giving the, the normal kind of advice that non-therapists give each other all the time, right? Things like, oh, like, gosh, are you, are you sleeping okay? Like, do you need anything? Do you need me to bring you a meal? Like all of the normal things. Mm-hmm. They're not offering you therapy when they're doing that. They're offering you friendship or ministering or, or whatever, um, at some point, they're going to get out of their element and just being able to be honest and say, like, I am with you. I will support you. We'll make sure you get what you need. But I don't actually know what to tell you what to do. Yeah. Here's the name of three therapists. Yeah. But so often we want to be the ones that help fix. And so we go, you know, I've heard. Here's an oil. Anyway, uh, I want to say <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I want to take another break. Uh, When we come back, I want to talk about a book that you have written, among a few other things, as we ask you the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll do that coming back in the third block. Hey, everyone. This is Kurt Frankham from the Leading Saints podcast. If you'll allow me to slide into the back row of the cultural hall and let you know of an upcoming virtual conference that you got to check out. In an effort to bring more thoughtful dialogue to the topic of mental health in the Latter-day Saint context, the team over at Leading Saints has put together the Mentally Healthy Saints Virtual Summit. We have interviewed 20-plus individuals with expertise or real-life experience related to so many mental health topics, including anxiety, depression, eating disorders, ADHD, and even scrupulosity, which is religious obsessive-compulsive disorder. We will discuss all these topics as they relate to the Latter-day Saint faith experience and how we can all come together to better minister to those who struggle with mental health. It's free to attend virtually, and you got to join us. For more details on what topics will be covered and to register for free, text the word LEAD to 474747 or simply visit leadingsaints.org slash mental health. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 or visit leadingsaints.org slash mental health. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. Friends, I know a lot of you guys and girls are working from home. So here's some tips for making sure your computer is ready for working at home, because if your computer fails, it's going to be really hard to get it fixed because of dwindling supply and parts. But we have parts right now, and we have a limited supply of new computers available for you. Make sure your computer is healthy and virus and malware free. Hackers are trying to infect people and stealing their information during these challenging times. We'll scan the health of your computer for viruses and malware, Plus, scan your hard drive, memory, and components to make sure you don't have any failing parts. You want to make sure you have strong antivirus and malware protection software as well. Just get into any PC laptops and we'll check your hardware and your software and scan your computer for viruses for absolutely free. Just go to PCLaptops.com. At PC Laptops, we've been serving you for over 28 years, and we've got your back during these times of need. We're all in this together, so just go to PCLaptops.com and we'll get you taken care of. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, I would to remind you to go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall, an opportunity to put your money where your mouth is and become a 
Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall. A couple things that that comes with. One, it gets you access to the over 300 episodes that are now available in archived format there at patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It also allows you to be in the secret but not sacred Facebook group that has been established for people who uh, financially put some money behind the Cultural Hall. It also allows you the opportunity to see these great videos like the uh, earbuds that Jennifer Roach is using. And uh, you get to try and and see if you can uh, read the titles of the books on her bookshelf behind. But it's a little blurry in the distance. Can't quite figure it out. You can't do any of that without being a Patreon saint. Go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. Three tiers. There's the T-Lestral, the Terrestrial, and the Celestial support levels. Uh, and I want to remind everyone that the celestial support level is limited. So get in there quickly. Now, Jennifer, uh, I would to ask you at this point about your book. It's called Codependent yeah. Discipleship, a term that if I broke it down, I think I could figure it out. But tell me what, what tell me what it means to you. Yeah. So um, Nick Letty and I wrote this book. Nick wrote most of it, to be honest. Um, early quarantine last year, he starts talking about this manuscript that he has sort of kind of in and like, oh my goodness, I you got to tell me more. So he shared his manuscript and I'm like, oh, I have so many thoughts on this. And so we reworked all of it and now I'm in there too. Here's the basic premise. Um, it's written to people in our church, people who are thinking about leading and ministering. And the basic challenge of the book is, are you doing that out of your own issues, out of your own anxiety? out of your own need to fix somebody and you can't, you can't figure out how to fix you. Hmm. So you decide to fix sister. So-and-so the, the sort of twin version of that is this is Nick's favorite example. Someone calls up the Bishop at like 10 PM. I'm being evicted tomorrow and I need you to pay my rent. Does the Bishop have to do it? Right? Is it is there a way in which doing it could actually harm that person? So lots of those kinds of questions. How can we minister and lead people in ways that are not out of our own like, brokenness and anxiety? That's a fascinating scenario in that, yeah, are we enabling if we are able to help that person in the middle of the night to avoid, you know, eviction? But then the other part is, do we put ourselves in those positions to get those dopamine hits of being the person to come in with the cape and save the day? And yeah. that and is that what it's about? And it's not. Yeah. Spoiler. But not. yeah. Interesting. Okay. And it's a whole manuscript. By the way, whenever you say manuscript and something to do with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I immediately think there's 116 pages that are missing of this book that we're going to get in the future. Could be. It, it's written in Reformed Egyptian, so... Well, well. Yeah. Is, is it a fairly long book? Lengthy? Uh, studi- uh, studious? Easy read? Give me an idea. It, this is intended to be easy to pick up, easy to get something out of it. I think we're sitting just under 200 pages. The first half of the book lays out the case that we're trying to make of like, here's what codependency is. Mm-hmm. Here's how it looks in a church context. Second half of the book is it being applied to whole bunch of different issues, ministering, friendships, family relationships, coworkers, kind of everything that we could think of, of how would you apply these concepts to this? So it's a, it's a, um, I was going to say manuscript. Mm-hmm. But it's a book at the beginning that's theoretical, and then we make application in the second half. So do you, since it was mostly written before you kind of came in, do is it like Nick's idea, Jennifer's response, or how does that look? No. Um, 
I mean, to be honest, he had amazing ideas already. It needed some um, structure and some, honestly, um, grammatical errors. I didn't say that. No, listen, um, listen. Nick, Nick is a huge fan. A previous guest of the Cultural Hall, his his episode, he brought me ice cream. So you could tell me that he has fallen astray and hasn't made a proper life choice, which we both know is not true. He's an amazing gentleman, and I would still love him dearly. So yeah, extraordinary human being. The manuscript was just a, a little messy though, so we cleaned it up and figured out where the holes were reworked some of the big sections, filled in all the holes and called it good. Most of the credit for this book goes to Nick, to be honest though, like he's extraordinary. He really shares from his own story, his mm -hmm. own place of like, here's how I was kind of codependent in this situation and here's how it did not go well for me. Mm -hmm. um, like super vulnerable stuff. Whereas I get to sit back and be the person with initials behind my name and pontificate about theory. So. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the credit here actually goes to Nick and um, less to me. Sure, but but I love the opportunity because I don't think that we hear um, about these collaborations. Certainly this isn't within the church. This is something that is sort of taking place outside of the church, but is about the church. But having, you know, just two adults who have different skill sets who are able to collaborate and make something awesome. I think that that is why it's worth it for me to continue to make you uncomfortable, to give you some of the credit and Nick most Thank of you. the credit because, I mean, it wouldn't be that without you and it wouldn't be that without him. Um, I love the collaborating energy of people with, like, Nick the sound engineering He's going to laugh because that might even, not even be the actual name of what he does. He does something with audio stuff, and I have no idea. And I come from this mental health world, and being able to have, like, me with theory and him with practical experience wrestle something out that turns into what the average reader can just pick up and be like, oh, th this helps me. I, I would have, If I wrote it all on my own, it would be too theoretical. If Nick wrote it all on his own, it would have been too personal experience this 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 comes to my mind and uh, only because it's something that i think about um you know within context of the church and i and, and where you have a different church at least upbringing i would be curious to know if this was the case in yours within the lds church we have this idea that um and and correct me if it's wrong even where you are up in washington that men and women can't work together on mm -hmm. projects or will commit adultery because we can't possibly be in control of our own feelings I, do, uh, do do you see that within um other like your your anglican upbringing yeah other churches are super nervous about that too okay that's that's a pretty common church thing and lo and behold, we worked on this manuscript for a year and no affair was had. Right, right. Um, like, I, there's so much I appreciate about Nick. One of the things is like, he's super easy to be friends with. Right, right. I, he's going to love that we keep talking so positively yeah, about it. So awesome. let's so let's stop that immediately. <laughs> but but I do think that, you know, we do this in in the business world all the time where like, I don't even think about the gender of the person who I'm working with. Yeah. I'm like, who will be great and make this better than what I'm working on? But for some reason, in sort of our church circles, we go, I don't know, a man and a woman on that committee together, what's going to happen? And right. it's like, I don't know, he'll be married to his wife still, and she'll be married to her husband, and they'll collaborate yeah. and make something awesome. Yeah. The, the other day, a friend of mine she said... <laughs> To something like, I, Jennifer, I know you have friends who are, are men, 
I have to ask your opinion on something. And I thought, oh, this is going to be serious. You're leaning in, yes. Yeah. And she says, my previous state president, I really want to email him and tell him I started grad school, but he's a man. Do you think it would be inappropriate? Mm. <laughs> like, no, email him. He'll be so excited for you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it, that's just a thing that has come up. We've never actually done an episode about that. Maybe I should suss that out and do a fuller episode about that. But I would, I would be kind of curious to get different takes on that. Um, our time with you is growing short. Uh, Jennifer, we ask three questions of everyone who steps into the cultural hall. Before I do that, I want to remind people they can go to leadingsaints.org forward slash mental health to find out about the Mentally Healthy Saints uh, virtual summit and I maybe even in-person summit that people can uh, be a part of. LeadingSaints.org forward slash mental health is how you find out more information. Jennifer is just one of those um, sessions, those interviews that you're able to hear and receive counsel from. Uh, the three questions are, and one of them you've already answered, the first one being, what is your current calling? If you have a calling, if so, what is it? My current calling, I got two weeks ago, first counselor in Relief Society. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? I would pick seminary teacher. Are, now, are you committing to the early morning before the kids go to school? Are we afternoons? Are we nighttime Sunday? What, what kind of seminary teacher are we? 2 a.m. seminary is my, is my thought. You know, I'm up early anyway, right? You might as well teach the scriptures to some kids. For the extra busy high school senior... <laughs> We have, I, yeah, I'm, so you say that, and I'm curious, too, because we have these people who, in various areas, get up, have the people drive early in the morning. With COVID, I have to think that we're, we're just going, hey, seminary, we'll have one for the state. This is Jennifer, and she teaches, you know, or that she's the, you know, region something. Anyway, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be interested to see yeah. how that changes. Um, the final question, we ask you to interpret however you may, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Mm. Um, the fact that Revelation is ongoing. And I love that so much because it just summarizes for me my conversion experience. I spent nearly 50 years of my life kind of thinking God talks to you through the Bible and that's about it. And I turned my life upside down to join this church um, because I felt like I got revelation from God about it. Mm, pretty powerful. If people want to read more of uh, not only uh, codependent discipleship, uh, we'll have a link for that in, in our show notes, but um, where do you, do you blog? Do you have a podcast? Where can people get more of you? You know, I've been on a whole bunch of other people's podcasts. I'm not a podcaster myself. I have a blog that got super complicated due to some issues I don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't written on it in a year. So right now, they can just re-listen to this episode and Perfect. hear from me again. Over and over <laughs> and over again. That's yeah. what I insist people do as well. Well, Jennifer, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, <laughs> that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes... Will uh, and when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Brother Brent, Ken Williams, and Big Mike's Products.com will be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.